So today we are talking about the spiritual practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is one of the oldest practices that we have. Uh, those of you who are unfamiliar with it, Sabbath comes out of the Old Testament, right, out of Jewish practice. And it was in one of the Ten Commandments. And the idea was that you would work for several days. In, in Jewish tradition, it was six days. And then you'd take a day off. You'd take a day of rest. And that day of rest uh, was a day in which you sort of, you're deliberately not doing what you were doing the other six days. You're deliberately stopping working to instead rest. And so in saying that, though, uh, I mean, really, obviously, this rhythm of rest, of work and rest, in saying that, one of the things we have to say is, like, what, what does it mean, then, to rest? Like, what's meant by that? I can't just say, well, I'm going to rest. I mean, I think in our, in our culture, that may mean, okay, so I'm not going to go into the office and I'm going to spend the weekend scrolling on my phone. Is that, is that what we mean? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we mean when we talk about Sabbath rest, what was meant by that, what was intended for that. So that's really what we want to go. We want to understand what is meant by rest in this context of this idea of the Sabbath, the rhythm of the Sabbath. Of course, we go to the Bible, we're going to go to the very beginning. One of the first places we hear about Sabbath is in Genesis chapter 2. And the thing is, and if you want to know sort of where we want to go this morning, is this idea of resting in and out of the Lord's rest. When I say rest, I want you to think the Lord's rest. Say that to yourself, the Lord's rest. The Lord's rest. That is what we mean by Sabbath. And what I want us to sort of understand and reclaim is this practice of Sabbath is, to meant, is meant to help orient us and, and center us in the Lord so that we rest every day in the Lord. We know his rest and all that, that goes with it. So that's, that's where we're going as I said, to understand this, we've got to go to the first chapter of the Bible. And in that first chapter, what we see is God creating. And there's a very distinct way in which the Bible describes how God is creating. This is sort of this rhythm of, it describes God creating something, and it says evening and morning the first day. And then it says God creates, again, and describes what he's creating. Uh, whether it's the animals or it's the sun and moon. God creates these things evening and morning the second day. And it goes on and on like that for all six days. And then at the end of it, God looks out over all of it. God says it was very good. He sees that it was very good. And then we get this. This is in the second chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. And it says this, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the thing to notice here in this description is, like, we don't hear what we heard in the other, in the other sort of descriptions, what I was describing to you in chapter 1. God describes, uh, God describes God creating evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. We, we, we don't get that here. This is the only day in creation that's not described in that way. And it's a way, sort of a literary way, in which God is telling us something very important. Now creation is finished. It's done. All of life is to live, be lived in the context of what God has done here. He's at rest. So all of life, all our days are going to come out of living in and out of God's rest. I say all the days of creation were meant to lead to this final state in the rest of God. And what is God's rest? Now, again, when we think rest, don't think of God like he's exhausted from creating. He's just like, whew, man, that was tough. <laughs> I'm going to take a couple centuries nap. But that's not what we mean here, right? Notice what it says here. God rests, and it actually says he does something. It says that God rested, he finished his work, he rested, and then God does something. He blessed, verse 3, he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So what is God doing? The rest of God is God basically stopping 
to say this is good and to declare it good. To stop, he's basically inviting us to enjoy and celebrate his goodness. All that he's made. To live in and out of his blessing. God had set up the world to live out of the fact that he had blessed this world and the context of the seventh day. The seventh day marks the fact that he blessed it. And we live in that blessing. God set up this world so that it's a world meant, think about this, the way that God was originally creating the world was not so that we would be constantly worried and stressing and striving, thinking we don't have enough. God puts the first human beings in a garden and says, look, you've got plenty. And so any work that they do, anything that they're doing and living and all the things that they're going to be involved in and filling the earth and subduing it is to be done, not because if you don't do it, you're going to die. You do it because you can. You do it because you can and you're surrounded by all that you need to thrive and flourish in all the best ways and all the good ways. And all that, though, comes out of listening to God, doesn't it? The reason we can live and work out of the rest of God, out of his goodness, and enjoy the goodness of creation is because God is saying, trust me, depend on me, listen to me. Here's where to go. Here's where to be. As long as you do that, you will know goodness. Life and work will be lived out of your goodness. That's how God sets up the world, right, in those first two chapters. You know where this is going. Genesis 3 shows a huge disruption. We don't trust God. We trust in ourselves, and this rejection of God, it, it ruptures creation, and it brings a different element into the world, doesn't it? Where instead of sort of living and working and thriving and flourishing, now there's this element of struggle, of pain, of stress. We see uh, the consequences, specific consequences in Genesis chapter 3. Starting verse 17, it says this, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I mean, man, that's a, that's a good description of what it's like to live in this world, isn't it? Instead of, like, sort of stepping out of the world and it's sort of easy, it just comes to you. There's thorns and thistles. There's things that get in the way of you being able to live and work in the ways that you want to. And even when you sort of have opportunities to live and work and to do things, you do it by the sweat of your brow. It's not easy. You've got to work at it. You can easily lose it. All this, of course, is a consequence of pushing God out, of not sort of living in dependence on God. So imagine, like, Here's creation, and God's at the very center of it, and God's like saying, hey, enjoy all that I have as long as you stay close to me. We human beings, at the very beginning and since then, have said, well, no, we, we want to put something else at the center. We put ourselves at the center. And the result, the consequence of that is a world where it's hard to live in it. It's hard to work in it. Now, having lived this way for many ways, one of the things I think I want to observe is that I think now, we've sort of settled into a place where the struggle and work of our life has caused us to buy into certain things that aren't true. Certain lies that, in fact, enslave us. And so let me, let me suggest the lies of this world that we've fallen into that actually are chaining you down. Part of the result of now living in a world with thorns and thistles by the sweat of our brow. Lie number one is this. I am what I do. It's a slavery of business. I matter when I'm doing a lot. Society tells you that. Your schools tell you that. Your job does, tells you that. Many of your families tell you that. Do a lot of things. Be busy. Be busy, be busy, be busy. And so 
We're super busy, we overwork, and we justify that. Well, I have to be, because that's who I am. I, I feel better when I'm super busy. That's a lie. It's enslaving you. Another lie, the second lie, I've got too much to do. It's the slavery of achieving and producing. You know, with the internet, with mobile phones now, uh, we can do stuff all the time. You can, some of you may be doing stuff right now. <laughs> you can check your email, right? You can, at any point, right? <laughs> I see you, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you can do stuff at any point, at any time, at all hours of the day, and the reason you do that is because it's a, you can achieve things. I, I can get a deal done while I'm standing in line. I can check a, a school report while I'm uh, getting gas. I can do all sorts of the things, right? Constantly. It, it, we're trapped in this sense of like, it's a, it's a way for me to be productive because I got, I've got so much to do, I've got to use every single minute of every single day. There's no, I don't need downtime, I can keep doing, I can keep checking. It's enslaving you. The slavery of achieving and producing. I don't have time to stop. This is the slavery of anxiety, stress, and worry. It's the sense that I gotta work and keep working, and I'm very sympathetic to this. You gotta work and keep working because uh, the work you do isn't cutting it. So you gotta, keep, you gotta keep at it. The bills are too high, food and gas cost too much, uh, the hospital bills are coming, the school fees, the school fees to pay, the sports fees to pay. Uh, kids, are, kids are expensive, right? There's all these things to do and accomplish. And so what you're enslaved to is that sense of, of stress and anxiety and worry because of all the things that you need to keep working in order to, to get covered. And it enslaves you. Stress and the worry and anxiety keep you going and never stopping. The last lie, I need to work so I can get all that I want. The slavery of consumption and possession. So the stuff to get, I gotta have it, and so I keep working in order to keep getting it, right? And I'm willing to even go into debt in order to keep getting it. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm struck by how, like, it's never quite enough. I remember when I used to think to myself, oh, I'll never pay more than $10 for a t-shirt. I won't tell you how much I paid for my last t-shirt, right? <laughs> right, because I was working Burger King, so I'm like, yeah, I'll only pay $10 for a t-shirt. No way I'll pay more than that. But, man, over time, I've bought into like, well, I, now I think to myself, that's a cheap t-shirt. That's not worth me, right, <laughs> if I'm only paying that, right? And that, that's a lie. It's enslaved me. It all fits into the sense of consumption and possession. I've got to have, and so that's why I keep going, and I keep going. Think of that, that, ger, that hamster on the gerbil wheel. In all this, I mean, I'm describing sort of lives we buy into that, that, enchain, that chain us, but I think there's a slave master holding the chains to those lies. And that slave master is the sense of I need to be in charge and control. I, I've, I've got to grab a hold of this world. And again, I'm sympathetic to this. Look at the world and life, it's uncertain, it's chaotic. Today seems great, but next week there could be a financial crisis, there could be uh, a huge sickness, uh, there could be a layoff, there could be a natural disaster. And so, I know what today is, but I don't know what tomorrow is, I gotta keep running. I keep going, I, I can't stop, I've gotta, I, I, there's more to do. And we're doing everything possible. In many ways, some of the things, even some of the unhealthy habits we have to cope with those things are ways for us to keep going keep working, to keep striving. I've got to be in control. That's, that's the slave master driving us. This is, this is my way of having some measure of control by going and going and going and never stopping. I think all this shows just how far, far we've fallen away from the rest of the Lord, from what God originally had for us. Again, think of that 
place where God says, you have enough. And now we're constantly thinking, I don't have enough. There's more for me to get. I need to keep going. Now, because we've fallen away from the Lord doesn't mean God's fallen away from us. And one of the great encouragements, I mean, really, we're talking the, the very essence of the Bible story is we fell away from God, but God moved towards us. And we see this in multiple ways. The way particularly we want to talk about here is how God moves towards us to bring his rest back to us. That rhythm of rest, rest with him. The first sort of step or phase in this was what God did with Israel. This is where we find that practice, the actual little practice of Sabbath. Uh, in the Ten Commandments, modeled after creation, God literally says, here's the commandments I'm giving you. And one of them is that after six days, you must stop. Six days of work and then rest. Here's how God actually puts it in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, starting verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here is this weekly practice by which they're going to work, and then rest. But I want to think, one of the things I want you to, to, to notice or, or, or pay attention to is if you read the rest of the law, it wasn't just a weekly rest. There's also a Sabbath years that God would give. There's this year called the Jubilee year. Every 49 years, uh, their land was to rest and the animals and the workers were to rest. This theme of rest is just woven throughout the Old Testament law. What God's doing is, is, is trying to make rest be back in the rhythm of life of his people. It's a way of pushing back against the consequence of their sin, of humanity's sin. The thorns and thistles and the struggle and the sweat. God is saying, that's not all you are. That's not all life is. Here's a practice to remind you that there's more to this. One of the ways in which uh, the Sabbath is talked about in Deuteronomy, it ties it actually back to when they were slaves in Egypt. So they're slaves in Egypt, constantly having to work. But even though they're out of Egypt, they can still be enslaved to work. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep striving. And here's this practice to, to sort of untether them from this, to begin to show them a different kind of life. A life that's tied to God, that's dependent on God, a life that's tied to resting in the Lord. Trusting, you've got to trust in the Lord in order to stop, don't you? Here's a practice to make them do that. But this is just the beginning of unraveling them from the tendency, from the drift, to sort of say, I've got to keep going no matter what. It's going to take more, of course. It's going to take more to, to completely free them, and that more is Jesus. God sends Jesus, not just for his people, for anyone who would trust him and follow him to actually not just unravel but free us from this sense of I need to keep going and not stop. What Jesus does is come and, 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 and free us in a way that sort of orients us now back to the fact that God is in control of all things, not us, and we can trust in that and rest in that. You know, it's worth mentioning, I mean, in Jesus' day, the Sabbath... It's being practiced, but by that point, like, we, like, like often happens, here's this good thing that God has given us, and we sort of twist it and, and, and turn it into ways that are terrible for us. And so the Sabbath and Jesus' day became like just another day to work because they're constantly worried and stressed about keeping the Sabbath the right way. They put all these rules around making sure you don't work. Right? It became more stressful to make sure you're keeping the Sabbath, right, than to actually keep the Sabbath, to actually rest. They had a whole bunch of rules, as I said, about what qualifies and what doesn't qualify. So, for example, you, know, you couldn't take an object from one place to another. That's considered work. However, 
if you put something on top of that object, it's okay. So for example, if you have a bed, you put a person on top of that bed and then you carry them somewhere else, well, the bed is doing the work, not you, right? So just imagine just what it takes to sort of come up with all these different rules. Uh, another thing you couldn't do was you couldn't say to someone, hey, um, would you lend that to me? Because if you say that, that's a transaction. Transaction requires writing, writing is work. Which, again, in my mind, I'm just trying to imagine, what do you do? It's almost like every Sabbath must have been like charades or something, right? So starts with J, jam, jump rope, jump your car. Oh, jump your car. Great, got it, but I can't help, right? It's a work, right? So <laughs> you see what had happened. Sabbath, and Jesus even says the Sabbath is meant for your good. But all these things, all these rules came on top of it. It became another way to work, to add stress and worry to what they did. And so Jesus comes, and it's interesting what Jesus says. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Because he's the son of God, he can say, I am Lord of the Sabbath. But even more, because he's God come to us in human form, he's able to say, I have fulfilled the Sabbath. Here's this commandment. You're thinking, it's meant for their good, but it became something, this sort of, this, this thing around the neck, that's what happens when we say, I need to work and achieve God's law as perfectly and fully as possible. God's law, the fact is, sin reminds us that we can't do that. And so Jesus says, I fulfilled the Sabbath, which is a way of saying, I fulfilled it all. He fulfilled the Sabbath law, he's fulfilled all God's law, perfectly, fully, so that you don't have to. What Jesus then says, says, I've fulfilled it all, I've kept his law, I've kept all that God requires of us, so what I'm inviting you to do is to trust in me, to depend on me. And guess what that is? I mean, what is this? We're coming back to where we originally meant to be. To find God, again, we need to look to Jesus and trust in Jesus. And to trust in Jesus means admitting I don't have control. I can't keep God's law perfectly. I can't even keep the Sabbath perfectly. But Jesus does. Jesus can. Jesus has. We give up our efforts to achieve on our own. And we trust in Christ's efforts on our behalf. We trust in Christ ultimately. We're trusting in the Lord. And in so doing, guess what that does? We're giving up control and letting Jesus be in control, God in control, and that frees us, right? So all these things are trying to control us. In many ways, we're saying there's a better place for us to be controlled and guided and directed, a place that actually frees us. It's God. It's Jesus. And so we're freed from the lies that we, we were trapped by. We're free from the slavery of thinking, I am who, who, what I do. I, I've got, I don't, can't stop. I need to have more and more. We're free from all those things, and we're freed to the degree in which we hear God say to us, and this is Jesus himself, he says this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and what does he say? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. What you are looking for, I can provide and will provide. Just come to me and take what I give you. What Jesus gives us is himself. It's all of himself. To believe in Jesus is to come back to the original purpose of God so that his rest and all that comes with it, the peace and hope, the, the security of knowing that God has accomplished it all in Jesus, that's something you now have every single day. Every single day, every single hour, and every moment. You have rest in God. You have rest in God by way of Jesus. In Jesus, we center ourselves on a God who loves us and cares about us, who reminds us ultimately who we are. And what, what does God remind us? You're human. You don't have to be me. I, I've got, I, I know what I'm doing. You don't. <laughs> you can be human by way of trusting what God has given us in Jesus. To be human is to admit that you have limits. You have limits. You have, you, you, 
you don't have to be a robot, so stop acting like one. <laughs> when we believe and trust in what God has provided, we accept the rest of Jesus, it allows us to fully step into the created beings that we were meant to be. I like this from Tish Warren Harrison. She writes in the Liturgy of the Ordinary, in our workaholic, image-bared, over-caffeinated, entertainment-addicted, and supercharged culture, submission to our creatureliness, creatureliness is a necessary and often overlooked part of discipleship. Necessary and often overlooked part of discipleship. In other words, here's all these things trying to say, keep going, keep going, keep going, admitting you're human, a human being who is dependent upon God in Jesus Christ is part of how you find God and find Jesus and grow into that. You're human, and it's okay and necessary to act like one. I mean, God has created to be that way. It's interesting. You read the different studies that, that tell us we need regular op opportunities to eat and to slow down enough to, to, to sleep. We need variety and community and fun. Like what the studies have shown are telling us is what the Bible has been saying for, for thousands of years. <laughs> we're human, and we need God. Because we're human, that means God is God, and that means something then. It means that God knows what is necessary to run things. He knows how to make things happen. We can trust in what God is providing. We can trust in who he is. We acknowledge that we need him to make things work. And when we stop our work, it still will work. <laughs> it still will operate. It still will happen. The sun will shine. Water will still be wet. Oxygen molecules will still come together. All these things still happen. We can remove ourselves from the rush and the struggle and striving and knowing that God has got this. We remove ourselves from all that, and then when we have to jump back into the rush and struggle, we're still in this world, we jump back into it. We jump back into it and into a different place. We jump back into it knowing that we have a God who sustained it all, and we have a God who will keep with us as we run back into it. That's the difference. To face this world and try to navigate it on our own and figure it out on our own by our own understanding or to trust and lean on the Lord's understanding, to trust and lean on the Lord's presence, to live in his presence and in his rest and all that we're saying and all that we're doing. That is the difference. In Jesus, we now have God in us, we have his spirit in us, and that means there's a Sabbath rest we have all the time. That makes a difference. Because we can't fully escape thorns, this side of heaven, we can't escape the thorns and thistles. I can't make work be sweaty at times. I can't... Guarantee you're always going to have the work that you need or the jobs that you want or all these different things. All those things are so true, but the way in which we approach it and what we have, the resources we depend on as we approach those things, that is what the question is. How do we have the resources that we need? How do we have the person that we need? We have it by trusting God and trusting in Jesus. And what he has given us is the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in your biggest worries and biggest stresses, even when the lies come in saying, I need more, I need to have more, I can't stop, God reminds you, you already have all that you need. You have me. You've already been provided for. You have me. I've brought you to Jesus. And so that frees us every single day of the week to approach it in a much different perspective and to say, God, what do you have for me? To be able to slow down enough to hear that and answer that question. So that's true. We have rest with God in and through Jesus Christ all the time. But as a way to remind us and reorient us towards that, it remains important, I would argue, to have, very practically speaking, the actual discipline of taking a day off. In our culture, that's Saturday and or Sunday. It could be more than one, actually. <laughs> right? 
to have the actual discipline of physically doing that as a way to remind us of the rest that we're going to have all our days. And I say that not in a legalistic way, like you're a terrible person if like you have to work on weekends, right? There's no shame and guilt in the gospel. I say this as an invitation. You are free now to have this rhythm of work and rest. And if you're really in Jesus, I want to, I want to say like hearing that shouldn't think like, oh, maybe. It should be like, yes. <laughs> Why wouldn't I want it to be reoriented and recentered on what matters the most? To have this practical way in which you're using your time, right? Every single week, a practical way of saying, I stop. I stop after working a certain number of days in order then to be recentered in the things that matter the most, to be recentered in the rest of the world so that you can go back and live the rest, the next set of days in that same rest. So that rhythm of Sabbath is, continues to be important and significant. Let me sort of offer, as we sort of come to the end here, let me, let me offer four values uh, that I think are, or three values just to say, three values that sort of embody Sabbath rest that, that, you should, that we should have. And then some practices, some, some things that actually most especially embody those values. So the three I want to suggest that sort of get at the center of what it means to really be in a Sabbath rest. If you're going to sort of take advantage of the invitation to practically do that on a week-to-week basis. And let me just sort of on a side note to say um, on a week-to-week basis, but also even more than that. On, on sort of there's times of, of extended Sabbath rest we should take uh, through, you know, over the course of, uh, over the course of a year or over multiple years at different points. But here's the values. Number one, that you actually rest. <laughs> you interrupt what you normally do during the week. And this is true whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you, you work uh, in a workplace or you're an entrepreneur or whatever, that whatever you're normally doing throughout the week, there's things you do to disrupt that in a different way, to rest. And I'll give, and as I said, I'll give some, some practical practices, uh, I think, that, that enter us in that, that direction. Another value, I would say, is delight. The Lord, in the beginning, blessed creation and said it was very good. It's an invitation to enjoy what God has given. It's Sabbath rest if it sort of, we should, we should want this value of delight, of joy in the Lord, delight and restoration. Number three, contemplate. That to rest is an opportunity to talk to God, <laughs> to hear from him, to slow down enough to reflect. So we want to rest, we want to delight we want to contemplate. We want to reflect. We want to sort of take stock of where we are and where we're going. But then there's, a, as I said, there's things then that we are able to, that I want to say we're invited to do that we see uh, in the Bible. Um, but that's generally it makes sense that allow these values to, to hold true. So the ones I want to sort of put before us as ways to, that most especially help us to rest, delight, and contemplate. Number one, there's a, I think I have four of these. Number one, uh, Worship. Worship. This is from Eugene Peterson. He says, Sabbath is uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so that we can see what God has been and is doing. I don't know how special it is. How special it is to, to say, hey, um, at the beginning of each week, I'm going to slow down enough, pause what I'm doing to gather together with other people who also believe in God and are also in Jesus we're all going to slow down enough to come to the same place and, and say, hey, God, what's up? <laughs> what do you want me to know and hear and believe before I go back into this crazy world? You understand that, like how significant that is? 
again, I'm not someone who's like, well, well, how come you're not here 52 Sundays of the year, right? We, we've never been that way, right? Um, however, honestly, I, I, I wonder sometimes if I should talk a little bit more forcefully on this because it is a huge privilege to say, I will stop enough to gather together with other Christians and hear from God. To say, what we do in the beginning of this week helps set me for the rest of this week, right? It's no wonder the first day of the week, the early Christians called it the Lord's Day. Think about this. They called it the Lord's Day. It's a way of saying, this is a day when I especially want to come with other people and just stop enough to say, God, what do you have for me? What do you want from me? And by calling it the Lord's Day, it's a way that sort of orients you towards the rest of your days because obviously the rest of your days are the Lord's Day too. They all belong to him. But here's a day to say, God, I want to hear from you and hear from you, not by myself, but with other people who are also going to speak into my life so that the rest of this week I enter it in the way that you want me to, which is with God in his rest. I think regular worship with other Christians is a place for rest and delight and contemplation that sets us up for all the things that God wants us for, wants us to get when it comes to this idea of resting in him. Number two, another sort of practice is fellowship, to be with people, to begin new relationships, to invest in old relationships. By the way, saying the first day of the week I'm going to gather in the same place with other people is a great springboard towards that, right? <laughs> Clearly, like here's a space where you can know, hey, I'm going to meet someone new and I'm going to take advantage of that, or I'm going to invest in an old relationship. This is a, a sort of a, a very practical way to know at least once a week have these relationships I'm going to invest in because I know we're going to be in the same area. So worship service becomes a part of that, but it's not just that clearly. Fellowship looks like coffee dates, preparing and eating a good meal, uh, playing games with family and friends, uh, making music, listening to music. I've heard this thing called hiking. Sounds like work to me. <laughs> you can, it counts for you because, again, there's, there's freedom in the gospel if you, if you can make that work. Um, all these ways are ways of being with one another, right? Fellowship. I mean, a special word on, on meals, though. That was one of the blessed rhythms that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I think there's a unique power, if I can sort of double up on what Pastor John said, the unique power of meals together, the way in which it brings people together, who, some of whom might be isolated, and, and the, the significance of a shared meal to bring people who might be more isolated. The, the significance of, of a meal particularly when you're gifting a meal to someone who, for some of us, are underemployed, right? And here's a way to provide for someone in our midst by inviting them to a meal. An easy way to do that. The significance of a meal is, is just this, this, this sort of the joy of lingering with people, of, of, of being inefficient with your time, quote-unquote inefficient, right? Because you're having a meal and, you're, and you, don't, you don't have to rush through it. You can sit there and be with people. We had, a, our, I don't know if you guys know this, but the, the elders and deacons and their families, we regularly gather together about once a month to share a meal together. And um, we just did this recently. And I just, I remember sitting there, the, the, the joy of just hanging out with others, relationship with them. Um, April was sharing some stories I'd forgotten about my old dating life. So don't ask her. <laughs> Cut that off. Uh, but uh uh, she's one of the few people who knew me when I was single. Uh, but just the significance of sort of, of extended time together around the table that the meal generates and what that does. We're there not to say, how do I get stuff done? We're there to say, I'm in a relationship with these people. To hear from them and to hear from me. That's what joy, life is about, isn't it? I mean, the shared meal together and to sort of create space once a week to share meals together is a way of reminding us 
that God ultimately has joy and presence for us. And fellowship around the meal is a way to do that, to remind us that this is what it's meant to be about. Two more here, creating. Uh, I think take advantage of, of Sabbath rest. A practice is to say, here's this chance to dream and to imagine, right? And to, to create things that bring you joy, right? And, and, and that are significant, that, that, that are helpful to you. Again, this Broadway, I won't sort of give suggestions. That looks different for different people. But the opportunity to create and dream on a Sabbath is, I think, immensely important. And the last one, very practically, is sleeping. <laughs> sleeping practically restores us. And I think sleeping is a way to say, I trust God even when I'm not awake. Right? Another quote here from Eugene Peterson. Grace is primary. We wake into a world we didn't make, into a salvation we didn't earn. Evening, God begins without our help, his creative day. Morning, God calls us to enjoy and share and develop the work he initiated. To take chance to, to I mean, the studies are true. We sleep way less than we should in our culture. And I, I wonder what that says about us um, and what we use. And so, some of it we're using for work. Some of it we're using on just sort of like, because we're so tired of work, we're sort of vegging out right, on, on things that actually don't make us restored or refreshed. It's just a way of just sort of take our brain off. God has created us as, he didn't have to create us with the ability to sleep, but he has. And I'm struck by how when you're asleep, you're unconscious, you have to trust that everything else is going to work around you. You've got to depend on God in in a very real way. Here's a practice, right? Here's a practice that, again, invites us to rest, to delight, to contemplate, to say, God, what do you have for me? And want to have what you ever have for me and to orient myself around what you want. To reshape and reorient us. To remind us that a life with God is not about monotony, drudgery, and production, and acquiring, and multitasking. Life with God is about delight, and freedom, and relationship, and presence, and purpose. And all that is what God has given us in Jesus. In Jesus, we have peace, we have hope, we have rest. Because we have Jesus. And Jesus never leaves us. The Jewish theologian writes this. Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. I like that expression, the seed of eternity that's been planted in you. Many of us, our world ignores it. Our world wants you to think, this is the only life that you have. So, like, you got to get as much as you can, right? Do as much as you can. Because then it's all going to go away. The Bible says you have eternity in your hearts. It's a reminder that you're meant for something more. How do you, this life is a preparation for eternity. Think about this. This life is only the first chapter for the life God has for you. So what God is saying, let me lead you there. Let me walk you there. The rest that God has for us now in our hearts and the practice of rest is to prepare us for an eternal rest. Hebrews, 10, uh, Hebrews 4 tells us, there is forever a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That is on the horizon. And God has laid the road for us and invited us into practices that remind us, reorient us, and, and draw us ever more in that direction. Uh, let's pray that we would be a people who hear God's invitation, come and rest in me. That we don't push it away, we don't ignore it. We eagerly run towards it because we're eagerly running towards the Jesus who has given us all that we need. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and for all that, uh, Lord, again, we're reminded that we have in you. 
Um, Lord, we have enough. We are enough. We don't have to achieve. You've achieved. We don't have to be successful. You were successful on the cross, killing our sin and restoring us to life in you. So because of that, Lord God, help us to approach our time differently. Help us to see as all, all our time belonging to you. And we do and we live within that time, Lord, very much centered on you, resting in you. And, Lord, the, the, the practice, this ancient Jewish practice of Sabbath is a way to remind us and reorient us in those directions. Um, Lord, help us to be willing to slow down enough, to linger, to hear from you, to be with people, um, to celebrate you, to worship you. Um, Lord, to imagine, to dream, to sleep, to do all these different things, Lord, as a way to say, we want to always live in relationship with you. We slow down enough so that we can, Lord, go again, Lord, but go again, not on our own strength, not our own abilities. We go and we work and we do and we do all the things, Lord, that is a part of living in this world, always saying we trust in the Lord God. We depend on Jesus. We're not in control. You are, and that's a great place for us to be. So thank you for you, our Jesus. Uh, hear our prayers. Bring rest to our weary souls. Amen.